This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, January 28th, 2022, and I'm Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. This week, we are prepping you for the tax season with an inside look at the issues facing the IRS and a discussion on how industry is handling the filing season. Our panel will review some tax law changes impacting taxpayers, and we'll end the show with tips for listeners as you begin filing. To kick us off, let me introduce our panel. Providing the perspective from inside the IRS is Chad Hooper, Executive Director of the Professional Managers Association. Welcome back, Chad. It's always great to have you on Fed Talk. Thank you so much, Natalia. We're happy to be here. Joining us on the industry side, we have two organizations representing tax practitioners. From the National Association of Tax Professionals, we have Executive Director Scott Artman and Government Liaison Larry Gray. Welcome, Larry and Scott, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Natalia. We're glad to be here. Thank you also, Natalia. Finally, joining us from the National Society of Tax Professionals, we have liaison for tax and advocacy, Nina Tross. Welcome, Nina. Thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks. Looking forward to it. Before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. The Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company under a group long-term care insurance policy and administered by long-term care partners. To learn more, visit them today at www.ltcfeds.com. Today is going to be a very interesting show. There is a lot of news circulating about the IRS, and our guests are going to be able to give us a real inside perspective on not only what's going on from the federal workforce perspective, but also from the perspective of taxpayers and the individuals who are really handling the industry side of the tax season. And I want to kick off this discussion by giving all of our guests an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about their organization and the work that they do. So starting with our kind of internal IRS perspective, Chad, tell us about PMA and the work done by the Professional Managers Association. Thanks, Natalia. So we at PMA for 40 years now um, have represented the interests of IRS managers, management officials, and other um, IRS workers who aren't represented by unions. before the agency and Congress um, and for the public uh, to get word out about the challenges they and the agency face. Um, We also like to promote um, just good government generally. um, And in that way, we do advocate for our taxpayers too. 
Thanks, Chad. And, you know, as you kind of mentioned, you guys deal with the federal workforce policy, some of the pay and benefits issues for IRS members, but also some of the issues dealing with tax administration that I think we're going to talk more about on this show and kind of the functioning of the IRS generally and how they interact with taxpayers, correct? That's exactly right, Natalia. Thank you. Of course. We're really excited to learn more about how your perspective is as we enter this filing season. Nina, over at the National Society of Tax Professionals, can you tell us a little bit about your organization and some of the work you do there? All right. Good morning. The National Society of Tax Professionals represents the small tax firms, those that are generally one or two professionals. Uh, we have CPAs, EAs, unlicensed pr practitioners. As an organization, our main charters is to provide education for the tax professional and what they need to do to prepare an accurate return. And then we also provide advocacy on behalf of our members with the Internal Revenue Service and other related stakeholders. That's great. That's really interesting. And I'm excited to dive more into, you know, how your organization is helping those small firms work in this season. Uh, Scott and Larry, can you tell me a little bit more about the National Association of Tax Professionals? Sure. Um, NATP is the largest association dedicated to providing tax professionals with the support they need to really serve millions of taxpayers with their federal tax preparation needs. Um, we serve tax pros uh, through timely and relevant education, through updates and information through channels, um, including our publications, our blogs, social media, um, textbooks, and other training. But what we feel truly sets NATP apart is our mission isn't just to educate the tax professionals, but to really keep the taxpayer in mind. And so as we do our education and provide our information to them, it's really so that they can better serve the taxpayer. That's great. And I know that's a sentiment I'm sure shared across the board. Chad often talks too about the kind of infusing the role of the taxpayer in the conversation with the IRS generally and how important that is for ensuring effective mission delivery. One thing that I noticed was that it seems like in my research, NSTP works a lot with NATP on some of these issues. And I'm curious if you guys can speak a little bit to what that collaboration looks like um, and how you guys work within the tax community to ensure effective policy and educate our tax professionals. Well, I think both organizations have been very active with the with the Internal Revenue Service as liaisons, um, helping to promote the interest of the tax, you know, what it takes for that tax professional to be able to do their job, to be able to understand the legislation, the regulations. I mean, again, it all comes down to preparing that accurate return, getting timely information from the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, we have served together on committees. We've served together on uh, various uh, security summit, NPL, you know, there's a new coalition right now that we're, that many organizations are involved in. So we, we understand the importance of presenting a united front or a united face with the Internal Revenue Service with some of the challenges we're facing and getting accurate information and getting the Internal Revenue Service to understand some of the challenges that our members and are facing when they're trying to, you know, communicate with the IRS, represent their clients, and to be able to provide the information that is timely. 
And Larry? just to just kind of follow up on that, I think the other thing both uh, the two groups do is we represent a cross section of all preparers, regulated, uh, mm -hmm. non-regulated. And, and what we find is the people that belong to an association, they normally take more continuing education, uh, but we can talk in the real world from the perspective of all practitioners, which that's also a cross section of the taxpayer, whether we're high income, low income, a sole practitioner, a part-time person, a multi-member firm. So I think we're truly what we bring to DC is a real world reflection, not only of the practitioner, but the taxpayers that we all represent. And I think, well, Larry and I both have active practices. So to, you know, follow up with him, you know, so we're dealing with these issues, not just from an outside perspective, but we also have clients that every day we're talking to, we're helping them out, we're trying to contact the IRS. And even though we have a little bit of an inside track with the IRS, we try not to use those because that, that's not our role, but working with the Internal Revenue Service to try to solve some of these issues for our clients, we run into the same roadblocks and difficulties that our members do as well. And, and it's those perspectives, not just with the IRS, but as we work together to advocate on behalf of our members and the taxpayers with Congress, um, being able to bring those real world real world stories to the legislature really does help you know bring home the points that we're trying to make thank you so much for that really great ad, uh, overview of your role within this system before we stop for our first break chad Hearing this, I'm curious what your reaction is, because PMA obviously represents IRS employees, so you don't have that same type of relationship as these organizations do with their members, but you do, in a lot of ways, represent IRS employees before Congress. And so I'm curious what your perspective is on some of these advocacy platforms. Yeah, I guess, like, in short, I can say I think that um, the taxpayer community and PMA's interests for the agencies are very often aligned. Um, we want an effective agency that can deliver for all taxpayers. I think what gets lost in the noise and what the current national taxpayer advocate does a good job of raising is that there's also a very large population of unrepresented taxpayers, oh, um, yeah. particularly low income taxpayers who can't afford representation, who also deserve a fair shot at, a, at access to the tax system. And so we in PMA are also trying really hard to be sure that the IRS works for everyone, not just people who are represented by preparers, but we also want our professional preparers um, to be able to get service from the agency for their clients. Um, we, our members want to be able to deliver that for everybody. Thank you so much. I'm really excited as we enter the next couple segments of our show to discuss some of the barriers that we're seeing to this effective delivery of taxpayer services. We have to stop here for our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I am here with Chad Hooper from the Professional Managers Association, Scott Artman and Larry Gray from the National Association of Tax Professionals, and Nina Tross from the National Society of Tax Professionals. In this segment of the show, we are going to discuss some of the issues the IRS is facing as it moves into the 2022 filing season. And I want to start with Chad because, as you just mentioned at the end of last segment, the National Taxpayer Advocate has done a lot of work highlighting some of the issues the IRS is facing. And in the recently released 2021 annual report to Congress, there was a lot of discussion about the negative impact on taxpayer services that the IRS is experiencing because of internal constraints. Chad, can you tell us a little bit from the IRS's perspective of what some of the biggest challenges ahead are right now? Absolutely. And thank you, Natalia, for the opportunity. Uh, You know, in the National Taxpayer Advocates Report, when we look through the 10 most serious problems, I would say, you know, from our perspective, the tragedy of the IRS um, is that none of these 10 problems are new problems. Um, All 10 problems are issues that we as an association have raised for for years in, in some in some of these categories for decades. Um, And so, you know, our primary resource constraint is a financial one, um, followed very rapidly by one of talent. Um, In the coming year, uh, in the short term, you know, we're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, this backlog that I think has been well covered in the media, um, while also still feeling our way through a pandemic. and still dealing with this hybrid work. Um, the IRS uh, lives in a very antiquated IT environment that I'm not sure taxpayers and the general public really can fully appreciate. Um, this year, the IRS's main computing databases turned 60 years old. It's the oldest operating, continually operating computing system in the federal government. Um, so the IRS is number one in something. Um, and, <laughs> you know, we, you know, so we're dealing with this very, very old system and all these very paper heavy processes uh, while also being very thinly staffed um, and competing in a wage market um, for entry level talent that um, is analogous, Natalia, to like fast food or like Amazon warehouse worker wages. Um, for highly specialized work, you know, taxpayers who call for help on the phone or practitioners who are calling on the practitioner priority service are being assisted by people who earn less than $16 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, and those people are giving assistance to people who have master's degrees in forensic accounting. Um, that's just not a way to recruit world-class talent to the agency. Um, it's going to be a struggle this year. Um, to answer the phones and process mail and returns. Um, I think the commissioner has been really clear about that. Um, 
you know, I, when I, we think about this problem more broadly, um, you know, this is an issue of, of erosion, right, at the agency. We've seen the agency's budget since 1998 um, constantly erode. We talk about at PMA a lot in our advocacy. We, we're always comparing the budget to 2010, but even in 2010, the agency was not adequately funded. Um, you know, it's, it's sad that in the year of our Lord 2022, you know, the American tax system still um, can't uh, accommodate uh, a full service uh, e-file for every tax form. Um, and we still can't uh, deploy online accounts with robust functionality to all taxpayers. Um, we want to be able to do those things and we have plans in place to be able to do those things. We simply need stable, multi-year funding and assurances from Congress um, in order to be able to pull the trigger on, on those plans um, and mm -hmm. to give people the tax system that they deserve. Chad, one of the things you mentioned was this consistent erosion of the funding. How does that compare with the responsibilities of the IRS? Well, you know, I think even since 1998, the American population has increased by 30%. Um, you know, so the, you know, when we think about the number of tax returns that the agency has taken on, and we think about the the almost the the social welfare mission of the agency, which uh, are the prior national taxpayer advocate Nina Olson would talk about this frequently, um, that the IRS's mission to provide top quality service and equitable tax administration doesn't really fully explain what the IRS is actually doing, right? We run the federal government's most generous transfer program. Um, in the wake of the unraveling welfare in the mid 90s. Um, and so while also kind of being a benefits agency now um, and being responsible for all of these like chasing improper payments, there's a lot of, you know, the, I don't think it's a secret that there are a lot of people in Congress who have a great deal of antipathy toward people who have low income. And so there's always a lot of pressure on the agency to chase down like this, what they feel is improper payments to the poor um, from from the IRS. Um, and, and so that that also really burdens us and, and causes us to fail in our mission to administer taxes fairly. Right. We spend almost all of our energy now um, auditing people who have low income, um, for example, um, because that's all that we can do now um, to meet all of these like requests from TIGTA and GAO, which are all spurred by inquiries from lawmakers. Um, and I, you know, the agency is always very generous with its time and tries to do a great job. Um, you know, we at PMA are trying to speak more honestly about that um, because it is very clear that there's a motive there um, to sort of direct enforcement at one end of the income spectrum than at the other. Thank you, Chad. This description of this erosion of funding, these expanding responsibilities, I want to hear from our industry folks here about how you're seeing that or feeling that in your dealings with the IRS. What are some of the problems that you guys experience in the terms of the lack of adequate taxpayer assistance? Um, and, and we can start here with Scott. Yeah, first, first, um, you know, I'm sure Nina and NSTP as well, but on behalf of NATP, we do recognize all of the staff at the IRS, all of their hard work, and we do 
understand that as a whole, you really do want to serve the American taxpayer and, and really do a good job. Um, we've worked with the coalition group over the years to support the things that you mentioned, the modernization of the IRS structures and systems so that, you know, we can take advantage of, of technology that isn't 60 years old, but, you know, let's the organization, let's the IRS serve people in an efficient and effective manner and let you use the vital resources that you have to do the best good as opposed to simply keep your heads above water. And so um, I just wanted to thank you for that. And, and again, and you have supporters between NSTP, NATP, the coalitions that we've worked with. Um, that is part of our advocacy agenda with Congress is to make sure that you have the funding you need. Um, with, with that, so far as specific results, I'm going to turn that over to you know Larry and Nina so far as providing specific examples. Nina, if you want to go first, I'll follow up. Ladies before gentlemen. Oh, appreciate it. All right. So, you know, what we're seeing as far as our interactions with the Internal Revenue Service, and, you know, I guess the first word that we always talk about is frustration on both sides. It's frustration for the tax professional, frustration for the taxpayer, frustration for the staff. I think that they're doing the best they can, but from our side of the table, it's just not good enough. I mean, we're seeing constant delays. We're seeing um, areas where we're waiting two hours on the phone and then get the disconnect. Maybe we finally get contacted by a staff person and then they'll go dark. They'll go dark for weeks, sometimes months. And so we're trying to get things through for our members, we're, or for, our, for our members and for our clients, and we're trying to get answers from the Internal Revenue Service, and we're just seeing nothing coming to us from the Internal Revenue Service. You know, one of the things the coalition is very adamant about, it's number one on our list, is stop the automated notices. They have just got to stop those notices because we're, our clients are getting those, taxpayers are getting those notices, panicking. They have no idea what to do. They can't contact the IRS. They write a letter. That letter will take months to be answered. So in the meantime, the notices keep coming. And that has been such an area of discord between the Internal Revenue Service and the American taxpayer. I just got a call this morning from my sister of all people. And she said to me, I got this notice saying they have $1,300 on my account, but no tax return. And I said to her, all right, did you mail in your 2020 tax return? Because I looked at the notice. And she said, well, yeah, we mailed it in because she did it herself. And the service they were using wanted to charge extra for e-file. And Larry, I thought that was not allowed through the Internal Revenue Service regulations. But anyway, so she mailed in her 2020 return. So that means that the IRS has still not processed her 2020 return, but they're sending her this notice telling her there's $1,300 on her account that if she doesn't file a return, then she'll lose that money. And... And she's got two years, by the way, because they sent this notice and I looked at it. She's got two years. But this is the kind of thing we're hearing from our members, from our clients, from the taxpayer, that the IRS has got. That's an immediate solution that they can provide to give some relief to everybody. Yeah. And, and Anna, it's the, it's the common sense solutions that we've provided as the coalition that is the biggest frustration because it's just some simple steps that the IRS can do to make it easier on the IRS, the tax professionals, and the taxpayers. And 
your Lena's example, your example is one where they're sending notices saying you owe money, but then it's followed up with other notices saying, well, we have money, but we don't know what to apply to, which is because of the backlogs. And it's a self-perpetuating delay that is just going to continue until they have the resources to get caught up. But I also think it's one of those things where that the IRS at some point in time almost has to like freeze frame, uh, for example, in the notice and collection area. Uh, what happens, and, and I'm going to give a real world example, because sometimes a real specific, uh, you know, you have somebody that files a return on time. Uh, they make a payment on time. Uh, they have a cancel check to prove that. And then they, a few months later, get a notice saying, well, uh, you owe this much money and it's exact to the dollar of what they have a canceled check for. Well, there should be, and Chad, you mentioned this, the features of the online account. That should be something that I can go to my online account and the online account is there right now, but they're not utilizing features or adding features fast enough. So at that point in time, that person should be able to go online and say, here's my canceled check from a bank account, third party, mm -hmm. uh, less process. Well, we then do what the normal IRS process, you know, we e-file on pre-file and file, but on post-file, the IRS as a system is still on the paper world. I know they want to get there, but in doing that, then this same person gets a notice of they're going to levy the bank account. And the person right. says, do I pay this or not? I've got a canceled check. And what's this interest in penalties? At this point in time, we are now in January, a person that filed the return last year timely, made the correct payment, is still in limbo because nobody's talking. And I think that's a, a micro example. But on the macro side, I think the, the, the best thing, if and I can't speak for the IRS and the commissioner, but I think communications, you know, I feel like last summer when they talked about we've opened the mail and the conversation stopped. So I think just some basic communication, more transparency will help people through it and then look at it not as, IRS a lot of times is in silos. So you can have a process like online account. Well, this is my little silo, that's yours and they're not talking. And the net result, we can't correct the what's going on right now as far as the backlog building. Well, there's actually, Larry, nothing we can do about the backlog, which is what's so frustrating and we keep adding to the backlog because we're trying to respond to those notices. We're trying to take care of our clients. I mean, honestly, I don't worry about the levy notices because it actually takes a physical person to do it. The notice itself doesn't generate the levy. So I, you know, I don't really get too upset about that, but it's still real. And so, and, but then we're adding to the problem because we're trying to respond. We're trying to call, we're trying to get that contact and they're just, generating more and more contact that they're trying to eliminate, right? Isn't that kind right. of a round robin? Yeah, yeah. And, and what they're doing is they're increasing taxpayer burden. They're creating more phone calls, more letters. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where, that's where that if you're going to start collecting and send out the standard, you know, computerized notice that says you have 14 days to respond. Well, if I, on behalf of my client, respond in a timely fashion, it's mailed in, but I don't, it, the mail may be opened, but that 14 days, how did they know that I sent it in? And now I understand in some areas, they're actually opening the mail and throwing 
the, the, the envelope. envelope away. We've been told that. And that's anecdotal. That's But if they're doing that, because I've got one right now, I'm fighting over they want the penalties for November, even though the return was filed during a, final, a timely filing period. So, so it's the fact that things like that falling down is also creating even more letters because now we've addressed the issue, but now we're, we're discussing when was the actual thing filed? Well, it's whenever or when was the payment made? It's based on when somebody processed it, not when it was mailed in. Okay, I agree. These are really pressing issues and we're going to continue discussing them as well as some of the changes in the tax law that are particularly impacting filers this year when we return from our second break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show with Chad Hooper, Scott Artman, Larry Gray, and Nina Tross. We are discussing the issues the IRS is dealing with and tax professionals are dealing with ahead of the 2022 filing season. In the last segment, we heard a lot from both Chad and the industry side about the problems the IRS is facing. And I just wanna give our PMA representative, Chad Hooper, the opportunity to respond to some of the concerns that have been discussed. No, and thank you, Natalia. And thank you everyone for sharing the, your pain points. I um, wanted just to validate that our experience is similar to yours. Uh, you know, I, I think um, I, the conversation about the IRS operating in silos is a frustration that our members feel day in and day out. Um, and particularly where the issuance of notices creates additional work. Um, in my previous life, I actually was the national quality manager responsible for, like my team would analyze the phone calls and we would hear these trends all of the time where it was like, if you just didn't send that letter, we wouldn't have 55 million phone calls this week. Um, and I'm sure that as preparers, you probably have all been in the situation of having responded to a correspondence exam notice. And then two weeks later, here comes the statutory notice, like in a certified letter, even though you sent in all the documentation and it's an invalid statutory notice of deficiency. You know, this was like Nina Olson's favorite thing to yell about. Um, and it's ours too, because um, it just creates confusion and anxiety for taxpayers. And that's more phone calls and more letters. 
Um, right. And it just makes the backlog worse and decreases the level of service. And that's in the best of times. Now, when the agency can barely function, um, we don't need that. And so I just wanted to thank you for your advocacy. Um, I think it makes a great deal of sense uh, for the Commissioner of Internal Revenue to reconsider um, the pace of the notices, um, particularly in the forthcoming filing season with everything else we'll be managing. Um, and I'm sure Natalia is probably eager to talk about that. So I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chad, what a perfect segue into everything else we're managing this tax season with the COVID-19 relief legislation, the multiple bills that have passed in the last year and two years. Um, I'm sure we've seen a lot of tax-related issues that our filers are now facing, you know, dealing with PPP loans, tax credits, and the whole lot of it. I would love for our panel to discuss some of the issues they're seeing in terms of changes in the tax laws that have impacted your average taxpayer. Uh, I'll probably take a first stab at that. Um, I think what's happening is that we had uh, COVID round one, we've gone through two, and now we're getting to go into our third season. And some of the bigger items that the taxpayer is going to experience is, for example, we got the third payment of EIP. And so we saw the errors that were there. Even the taxpayer advocate referred to all those those errors, several million. Uh, we were, so we're going to have that reconciliation. This year, uh, unemployment is going to be taxable. Last year, we got through the middle of the tax season, and all of a sudden, the 10002 was not uh, uh, taxable, so that created a, a burden. But this year, it's going to be taxable, so that's a change to the, the taxpayer. And then the big one is the advanced child tax credit, which happened in July, and they started getting one half of, of their child tax credit for, per month uh, based on the prior year. So now we've got that reconciliation. So we now need the 6419 letter for the uh, child advanced child tax credit. We need the 6475 for the, um, the economic stimulus payment, the IP. Um, and so with that, you know, we've got this additional information we need to get ready as a taxpayer before we file a return. <laughs> and so when we're getting ready to go to file return and we want it now, we, we got to watch and not get in too big a hurry. So I think those are probably the three big ones. And uh, also, if you get the advanced child tax credit and your income is under a certain threshold, you don't even have to repay it. So we've got that. that uh, so it's not only just the law changes, but we've got that. And then on the uh, the, the child tax credit, uh, the, the on the 36 and the 3,000, we've got two thresholds there of what, what we get and then what we pay back. So it's even layered uh, calculations there. So I, I think those issues are going to uh, cause a lot of frustration this year. Well, and we're going to see a lot more people because of this complexity with with doing the uh, child tax credit. You know, you have two reconciliations going on, the reconciliation for the e economic impact payment. You have the reconciliation going on for the advanced child tax credit. You now have some of the issues with the, um, the child care credit that they're now going to be fully refundable. And you're driving more and more people to tax professionals because some people are just not going to be able to do these returns on their own when you look at all of the different elements. And then you got to say, okay, are they going to come back with the vitacytes? Because for a while there, 
you know, the Vita sites were shut down due to COVID. They weren't able to interact with people. I mean, we have hardly even touched on the Vita sites or the low-income taxpayer clinics. But those are some areas where it was relief for that taxpayer to be able to go and get their taxes done. You know, you have free file. I mean, there's other resources for them possibly, but some of the complexity of these returns, people are just not going to be able to do all those reconciliations, file an accurate return. And then when they try to do it themselves and have an inaccurate return, now we're kicking them out into a manual process. So the system just keeps perpetuating itself. And you know, we're we're trying to get information out there to the taxpayer. You know, I know the IRS has been pushing it out through social media, through press releases. They're trying to get the information out there. But, you know, with the advanced child tax credit, some of the issues there, you know, with, you know, did the right parent get it? Did they go on to the child, the portal that was set up to put in the information so that if there's going to be that issue of what parent can claim the child this year, um, how many people are going to have uh, taxes due or are not going to get the refund they're expecting because they are not eligible for that child tax credit and they're going to have to repay all that money they got because they didn't go on to the portal. How many are even going to do a return and they do they even know that they have to do a return in order to reconcile these items and what's going to be the consequences if they don't? Um, I mean, I could list you know all of the negatives that I can see coming out of this and it is just, you know, who's going to be responsible? Who's going to be tracking all this? And then, you know, just to throw them into the mix is the due diligence requirements for the tax professional having to do that 8867 in order to say, yes, this person is eligible for the child tax credit. Yes, this person is eligible for the employee, you know, the earned income tax credit. Yes, this person is eligible for the other dependent credit. We're just so happy that the child care credit was not included this year on the 8867. And, and just to, to jump in, it, there's a lot of information there to unpack. And We'd be remiss if we didn't say we thought that the best way to make sure it gets done correctly, which was the advice the IRS gave in our call last week, with, was the best advice they could give us was to make sure that our clients and taxpayers were submitting an accurate return. Well, when you hear all of the factors that go into this, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't say use a tax pro if you can. But then you have all of these, you know, individual taxpayers who are now if that may be trying to do it on their own. And if there's one thing wrong, it's getting kicked out. And this is into a system and, you know, Chad will probably, you know, I'm sure he would support us on this. That is already 10 million returns behind in trying to process and over 5 million pieces of correspondence that they're trying to get through before this, you know, this filing season really even gets underway. And so, you know, it's a, if you're talking about Chad, the biggest issue for the IRS, it's getting through this saying? tax season. Yeah, and I'll jump in to share, you know, the error resolution system function of the IRS, like where those returns kick out to, is a subset of our submission processing function. Not every IRS worker can correct a return that had an error in processing. So there's only, um, there's only a small handful of people who are working in error resolution. So it's, you know, if we have these millions of returns that go through, it's not like mm -hmm. we have all 75,000 IRS workers working in error resolution to fix these issues. Um, 
you know, in PMA, one of our legislative priorities for the current congressional session, um, and it's been for a couple of years now, has been to encourage the Congress to come away from child dependent credits. Because we, and I want to be clear, we in PMA believe that families need the support. But we at the IRS, there is no centralized repository of parenting information. And so it creates all of the issues that you heard the PrEP community just discuss. Um, and we're very concerned for taxpayers who are going to have surprise balances due or mm -hmm. refunds that were conventionally a certain amount of money that this year will now be half that amount of money because they thought they could get a credit, they needed the money last year, and they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. And now they're going to have that ACTC reconcile and it's going to they're going to find out that they need to pay it all back. Right. Um, and whenever we do things like this um, in the Congress without thinking through like the ramification for someone, you know, $3,600 may not sound like a lot of money if you make $195,000 a year as a congressperson. However, to somebody who makes 30 grand a year, that's like make or break. You know, I can't owe $3,600 to the IRS. You know, that's in some yeah. situations we can file a notice of federal tax lien for $3,600. Um, and that can, you know, retard someone's ability to have employment. Um, and that's not a situation the IRS wants to be in either. It's just, it's not fair to them. It's not fair to the agency to give us um, a credit that we know we can't fairly administer. Um, right. It also puts the IRS in the center of parenting disputes. Um, right. You know, you have non-custodial parents, you have states that do sloppy uh, like divorce decrees that talk about like how to share tax exemptions. And I could talk about that all day. Um, and I think when we take that in conjunction with, I think what was a, another bit of sloppy lawmaking in the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that really mucked with how uh, typical wage earners just report their withholding. Yes. Um, that became so complicated. I don't know how people navigate that form. I personally have a master's degree in forensic accounting and I can't complete that form for my own spouse. Like I, I don't know how to do it. Um, I, and so, you know, I feel, I feel really, I feel really badly right now for the, for the typical American taxpayer who's just trying to do, trying to do what's right um, in our, in our system of voluntary compliance. Well, and Chad, you know, they're trying to push people to the IRS website for that W-4 form to complete it. And you're right, it is somewhat of a challenge. But I think it was Aaron Collins who said the IRS is becoming one of the largest social welfare programs in our country because yes. they are now charged yeah. with putting out the money for the EIPs, for the child tax credit, for the child care credit, for the earned income tax credit, American Opportunity Tax Credit, all of these refundable credits that are going out to taxpayers. And there's now this expectation that the social welfare programs are going to continue and that the Internal Revenue Service is going to be the administrator, which, again, just adds to the burden. I mean, 
I go back to Koskinen, I'm sure we can go back even further before him, you know, just going to Congress and saying, we need money, we need funding, we need resources, we need to update. Now, unfortunately with Koskinen, I think a lot of the funding he got went into the security system of the Internal Revenue Service, because that became a huge hot button at that time in the agency's administration. So, you know, dealing with all those security issues, dealing with the fraud, dealing with returns that, um, you know, that were not accurate. I mean, one of the things that they did was push back the file, the, the refunds for returns that do have earned income tax credit, that do have the child tax credit. And I just saw the news release today that there's another congressional bill to remove that provision from the PATH Act to say, well, why are we delaying these refunds? We got to get them out faster. And when the PATH Act came in and said, yeah, let's delay those refunds and then ex expedite getting in the W-2s and the 1099s in order to be able to match it up to cut back on the fraud. And now here's Congress again saying, well, let's overturn the PATH Act and we'll get those refunds out faster. There just seems to be a disconnect between what Congress is doing, what the IRS is trying to do, how the tax professional community is trying to administer all this. And it is sending people away from the industry because they're going enough is enough. And Nina, yeah, I'll just say that, you know, in that in our advocacy, it makes us feel like the agency is set up to fail when that happens, because then we can hear the congressional committee in six months from now that's like, why did you pay out all of this improper EITC? <laughs> right. And it's like, well, you took away the law that prevented us from checking. So what else were we supposed to do? The disconnect, um, you can hear it in each of your voices, that frustration with the disconnect at each point in the process. And when we come back, we are going to hopefully help to try and assist Americans in managing this disconnect with some tips, recommendations for making this filing season as smooth as it can be in our current conditions. We are going to stop here for our final break, but when we come back, we'll wrap up the discussion. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are entering the last segment of our tax season show. So let's dive right in. We're going to talk about some recommendations and tips for the 2022 filing season. And I want to start it off for, with Chad. Um, but Chad, can you give us some tips, not just for your average American and our tax professionals, but what also are some of the key recommendations for Congress and the IRS to try and make this a smoother season? Sure. You know, I think, you know, at this time of the year, you know, we at the IRS always like to encourage everyone who can to please file electronically if you're eligible. Last year, about 91% of individuals e-filed. Um, which is a great number, but it can be better. Um, some people file on paper as a matter of preference, um, and you you really need to reconsider. 
um, you'll have a much better experience if you if you if you choose a different method. Um, and to those who do e-file, we strongly, strongly encourage you to please wait. However anxious you are to get your refund or to get that return processed, please wait until you have all of your tax documents to be sure that you're filing a complete and correct return the first time. Um, the process of correcting a return is not impossible, but it adds a great deal of, of time and processing and correspondence and heartache um, and burden to the tax system. So that, those are my two general like hygiene points. You know, to our friends on Capitol Hill, you know, I, I think that the Congress has the interest of the American taxpayer. I think generally um, when they're legislating, um, when they're thinking about what the agency can and cannot do, um, I think that's what's missing um, is the feasibility of administration. And I know that the IRS through its legislative affairs function spends a great deal of energy engaging with committees and with specific members of Congress. And we just please encourage them to listen to us and to listen to them a little bit more carefully um, because the IRS knows what it can and cannot accomplish. Um, we, we cannot do same year tax changes. I think um, we talked about that a little bit earlier um, where you know last year in the middle of the filing season, Congress retroactively made a portion of unemployment compensation not taxable. Um, that creates, an, that throws a wrench into the entire filing season um, and causes the IRS to have to reprocess returns that have already been submitted. Um, don't do that. I think it's very simple. Like if all tax law changes are for a future tax year, that at least gives the IRS even a week of planning time um, is better than zero. Um, and then, you know, finally, what we've always been advocating for and will continue to, we cannot live with a 60 year old computer. Like that's, it's insane. My, you know, and, I, and I'll share as a bit of self-disclosure, I, before this worked for the Internal Revenue Service, and I'm a third generation IRS manager. My grandmother worked using this computer system. My mother worked using this computer system. My mother was <laughs> born after this computer system was implemented. Like I am an adult person leading this organization, advocating for IRS managers. And I'm talking about a computer that my grandmother used. I know 60 may not sound like a big number, but we cannot as a nation accept that from our Congress. We have plenty of money um, to fix this problem. Um, taxpayers in America include Microsoft, Apple, and Google. We have some of the best IT taxpayers in the world. Like they can fix this problem for us. Um, and and that's, that's what I, I call on them to do that. And you know, my friends at the IRS, I just hope they can keep their head up um, and do their best and please work with all of these fine people in the prep community and know that we're all on the same team trying to help taxpayers as best we can. Chad, I applaud everything you said. And yeah, we hope for no new law affecting last year during the filing season. And I think it is important to get, you know, to file early, but make sure you've got all your information together. And one of the things that I, I want to take just a second and touch on, which is probably going to be the potentially largest error rate uh, in this filing season, and let's go back, we've kind of threaded it throughout this conversation, is the advanced child tax credit and that reconciliation. And we, we do understand on the letter that everybody should have by now or this week, 
the 6419, that it does have on there the amount that was paid out. But what we have to watch in filing that is that if you look at actually the letter, if it's a husband and wife, it's got the amount split. But for dependents, it's got all of the dependents. So I'm sitting here looking at a live letter, and I happen to know this person, and the husband and wife have four children. But on her statement, it's got half of it. On his statement, it's got half. But on both of them, it's got four children. That's a potential error. So the question being, if my bank account is different in the advanced payments I got, or I think they are versus this letter, then I should go online to to the taxpayer account, and you'll have to go through Sadie and that uh, authentication ID me. But when you get there, the interesting note, if I look in the taxpayer account, if I look under the wife, it's got the full amount, and under the husband, it's got the full amount, and it's got the four dependents. So this is a live one I've looked on the paper, and I've also looked at their taxpayer account. That type of thing can be confusing to just the, the, the ordinary person, the DYI, do-it-yourself return. And so I just see little things like that don't sound like a lot, but everybody on this call understands something about tax. The layperson, um, yesterday I was dealing with somebody, they did their own return in 2020 and couldn't figure out why they got such a big refund. It was because they didn't tell that when they prepared to return themselves, they didn't hit the right button and the net result was they didn't pay their self-employment tax in. And they're like, well, that's what the computer told me. So I have a real big concern for the advanced child tax credit because we understand there's some of those letters that are not correct. So you need to check them or that may reject the, the, the return. But when you go online, you got to understand what's on the letter and what's on your taxpayer account may be structured differently. So I just, I'm real concerned about that area uh, in, in the big takeaway. And then also to, um, you know, just to follow up though with the comment you made about Congress, um, I, re I listened to one of Chuck Reddick's congressional hearings, right? And Congress said to whoever, I forget who's on the committee right now, but they asked him, you know, what could we do in order to make it easier for the IRS? And he responded very simply, just let us know what you're doing. And I think that goes back to, you know, what's some of what you said and what Larry said, it's, you know, giving us the time to deal with it. I mean, you know, last year when the American Rescue Plan came out and we had all these changes and the yeah, IT people had to pivot to work on the advanced child tax credit because congressionally that was mandated that it had to start by July 15th. So that put the delay on the dealing with the worker, you know, the unemployment compensation issue. And then those came out later and people were getting antsy. You know, they wanted that refund. They wanted that money back. And why were they having to wait? Well, there's only so many people in the IT department at the Internal Revenue Service, I'm sure. So, you know, even, you know, we talk communication, we talk transparency, we talk about letting everybody know what's going on, but that communication has to start between Congress, the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, and all of the stakeholders to let us know what's coming. I mean, you know, we're looking at the Build Better, the BBB Act, Build Back Better Act. Build Back Better. And, huh? Build Back. Build Better. And I mean, you know, 
it's kind of dead in the water, but now what the White House is trying to do is break it down into smaller pieces in order to be able to get some of it passed. And so, you know, we're watching it all. I'm sure that NATP is watching it. All the other organizations were watching this bill to see what could potentially come down the road and when we're going to have to deal with it. And so those are just some of the uncertainties we're dealing with also because our clients are trying to do tax planning. They're trying to figure out what their potential liability is going to be. And we have Congress sitting there. I don't know what they're doing, quite they, honestly. They need to understand it's a partnership between all of the parties to get this done. Yes. Let's get through the season and move on. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that that message really wraps up a lot of the discussion really well, particularly, you know, we've talked so many times about the importance of better communication and, and that's where it starts. Before we wrap up, I want to give each of you an opportunity to let our listeners know where they can find out more about your organization. So Nina, I will start with you. How can people learn more about NSTP and what you guys have on the horizon? All right, the National Society of Tax Professionals, you can go on to nstp.org. Uh, we have our educational opportunities available. We do live we do live classes, we do virtual classes, we have on-demand classes, uh, we do an EA bootcamp to help those, and we do highly encourage people to go for their, their enrolled agent status. So we're there to provide the support that's necessary for the tax professional to be able to understand what's happening, to advance in their career. And all of those education opportunities are available on nstp.org. Thank you, Nina. And thank you so much for joining us today. Scott, can you tell us where people can learn more about NATP? Sure. I know we're running out of time, so I'll make this quick. Um, NATP, our website is nataptax.com. Um, like NSTP, we do have education. We are, during this filing season, offering specific webinars on EIC, reporting of the child tax credit, um, all the hot topics that we've talked about here. Um, in addition, for the taxpayers, uh, it's where do I find a tax pro? We do have a, a link on our website, you know, on the homepage that is, says find a tax preparer. Um, it gives them information so they can find a tax preparer in the area so they can start asking questions as well. Thanks so much, Scott. And thank you and Larry for joining us today. Chad, where thank can you. people find PMA? Thank you. Sure, yeah. Come and see what PMA is all about at promanager.org. Um, you can review our hot topics and see our releases and announcements. You can send us questions um, and we're here to help. Thanks so much. And thank you guys all for joining me on the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend. Don't forget to file your taxes, preferably e-file when you have all your documents. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye.